We're going to look at one of the Psalms, Psalm 133, one of the Psalms of Ascent. One of my, one of my favorites, not because it mentions oil in the beard, uh, but because of the themes that are within it. Uh, but let's pray, though, as we, as we first come down, or as we, we come here to, to the reading of God's Word, uh, pray that God would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. Father, this morning we are here to listen to you. You've called us here as worshipers. You've called us into your presence. And we hear your voice now. We, help, we pray that you would help us to hear it more clearly. That the psalm here, the, the words that you have given to your people from, from long ago would be just as relevant for us today. It certainly is, and we pray that you would show us its relevance. Uh, that we too would be able to, to sing this psalm as your people have throughout the generations. And help us to see Jesus Christ in it also, as he's the one who is saying all the psalms, as he is the one whom all the psalms also point to as well. We pray for the man preaching here, that you would uphold him by your spirit. That same spirit needs to go forth here and take this word and work in our hearts. And so please then be at work among us this morning as we come together listening to you. Change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we read, though, I just want a few a brief introductory remarks about this psalm and particularly the, the, the psalms in which, which they fall into, which are the psalms of ascent. Uh, now, summer, summertime is approaching. Uh, you, can, you can see it in the, in the sky. You can feel it in the air, the warmth. And because summertime is approaching, many of us are thinking about road trips coming up. Right? Road trips. And there's lots of important planning that comes into a road trip, right? Not just the logistics of where are we going to go, what are, how are we going to get from point A to point B, is there going to be a point C in there, uh, what are the stops we're going to make, how are we going to do it. But one of the most important plannings for a road trip is the music playlist, right? What are the songs that we're going to listen to as we're going along the way? Well, the Psalms of Ascent were a sort of musical playlist for the people of Israel as they were traveling along a journey. They went on a yearly pilgrimage to Jerusalem. All of them would travel together. They would go up, what was known as up to Jerusalem. It didn't matter where you lived in Israel. You could have lived in north, south, east, west. Wherever you were, you always went up to Jerusalem. And then when you left to go back home, you went back down from Jerusalem and you went home. And you traveled in groups. People didn't travel individually. They always traveled all together. And so these psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, which are from Psalms 120 to 134, they were the songs that they sang along the journey as they went up to Jerusalem. They were ascending, going up to Jerusalem, singing these psalms together. This was the songs for their, 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 uh, their road trip. Right? This was their playlist here. These are the songs for the journey they are the songs for the people of God as they travel along the way. Uh, for Israel, it was the songs for them as they went up to Jerusalem, as they went to Zion. And now for us as the church, as we sing them, as we also have them, as we're listening to them, they're not just oldies on the radio, but they have new life for us here in Jesus Christ. Because they, we are all journeying along to the, the Christian, or uh, we are all journeying along in our life of faith here to not, 
not an earthly Jerusalem, but to a heavenly Zion, a heavenly Jerusalem. And as, the, as travelers, we sing. We sing also, just like they did. These psalms are the same for us, too. Like pilgrims, we travel together. We're not just individuals, but we travel all together here. In fact, there's really no biblical concept for just an individual Christian going along the life of faith by themselves. But really, as people, the people of God, people going together, there's a context to the the scriptures. And part of it is is God speaking not just to individuals, but to the the whole church, to the, the, the community of faith. And so with that in mind here, the Psalms of Ascent going up here like this. Let's read Psalm 133. This is the word of God. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Amen. Well, travel can be difficult, can it? Those, those, even though those road trips we go on, those journeys that we, we travel on, they can be difficult. Particularly in the ways of how they have a tendency to pull at our relationships sometimes. And the life of faith also is difficult. It sometimes pulls at our relationships. Now, sometimes we run along the way. Sometimes we trudge along the way. It's a tiring journey, isn't it? But the rigors of the journey that we all travel on together don't make this some sort of idealized or romantic reality of life on the road, right? Aha, it's all great. We're all going together. Isn't this wonderful? Well, who is it that's part of the church? It's, yes, it is, it is sinners redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? There's a key word in there. Sinners. We're still sinners, aren't we? And what do sinners do? They fight. And what do wearied, weary and tired sinners do? <laughs> they really fight. Now, the church is compro- comprised of diverse sinners who may have difficulties getting along with one another, right? And so then the rigors and the, the, the tiredness of this journey then as we are all traveling together, going to the heavenly Zion, going to the final destination here, it brings out our sinful selves, doesn't it? And yet this psalm here reminds us of the beauty of living in unity as we together travel along the way, as we go on the journey. And it calls us to something better, first of all, than just traveling individually, it calls us to, to a better idea of how we travel. We're not squabbling with one another. We're, we're not trying to unite ourselves under some sort of thin veneer of unity. But really, he's, uh, the psalm presents here this beautiful life of traveling, of, of the journey, of the going along the way. Living in unity is beautiful. That's the idea here. Living in unity along the way is beautiful. Why? Because three, three points here that I want to look at this morning. First is that un, it, unity is blessed. It's a unity that is blessed. First one, right away. Behold, or see how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. <clears throat> Do some of you, though, have a hard time thinking that's true? Maybe. Because unity takes work, doesn't it? 
It's difficult to maintain unity. In fact, inherent in the word unity, you know, uniting, what are you doing? You're taking two things that, that might even be dissimilar to one another and you are putting them together. You are uniting them together there, right? That's a difficult thing. It's easier to neglect unity in favor then of our own desires that we have, our own desires for independence sometimes, our own desires for individualism. And unity, because unity means that we have to give up certain things, certain of our own desires for the sake of others. And that's hard. We don't like to always do that, do we? But unity also takes work because of the human tendency to fracture also. What do people do? They divide. Right? That's just the reality. People divide from one another. It comes from the heart. We have this tendency to divide. Right? We, some of us want to want to come back, come together, but we also have other ways that we want to divide. And so what we're having to do when living in unity is we're having to fight and to pull against the forces inside of us that want to pull us apart and that want us to divide and the fracture. But for some of you here, you're thinking about this idea of unity, how, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, and you think, that's ridiculous. Because I've been burnt in the past before. I've been burnt hard. I've been burnt by the, the church before. I've been burnt by others who I thought were really close to me. And I don't want to do that again. Right? We've been involved in conflicts with others. And what do conflicts do? They create friction. And what does friction create? It creates heat. And what does heat do? It burns us. And some of us may have been left burned pretty severely before. And burned in some pretty awful ways. I mean, it's Christian churches, Christian communities are not immune from doing the same sort of thing. And some of us might, might be thinking here this morning, you know, it's easier than to just go the way on my own rather than risk being with others. I'm not going to let that happen to me again. But there's an important thing for us to look at here. It's at the place of the blessing that the Lord commands in verse 3 there. And it says, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life eternal. What is the there? It's verse 1. It's where his people dwell in unity. In fact, maybe a brief a summation of, of the psalm. You have, behold how good and pleasant it is when, when, when brothers dwell in unity. Okay, the goodness of, of dwelling in unity. And then some examples of what that goodness looks like, of how good it is. And then back again, because there, that unity is where the Lord's commanded the blessing. See, blessing comes within the context of living with others. It comes into the context of being with others here, and particularly the context of when brothers dwell, or when God's people dwell together in unity. And so, pulling away from, from others is to pull yourself away from where God intends us or intends to bless us the most. When we pull ourselves out of community, when we pull ourselves out of unity, out of fellowship with others, then we are pulling ourselves away from where God intends to bless us the most. Now, doesn't that challenge the ideals of individualism within our own hearts? Because God doesn't intend for us to live as loners. Even if we have been burnt, that's not what he wants for you. And I want you to know that he has compassion upon you if you have been burnt before. And he does want you to be healed. But healing also, though, takes place among others. Right? Trust is only rebuilt amongst others. And so even in the places where friction might be hot, that's where the Lord blesses his people. 
Because living, living together now, how we live right now, is a training ground for how we will live together in eternity. Now, life with God doesn't happen as individuals. Life with God happens together. And in fact, you can think of, of from, in one sense, from eternity going backwards. What will we be doing in eternity? We will be living with one another with God. Yes, I will behold God. If you are in Jesus Christ, you will behold God. But it's not just me doing that or you. It's all of us together. Life eternal is shared together. And so living relationally right now is how we are, in one sense, anticipating that. Life temporal is shared together. In fact, there's no biblical category for Christians living separated from the body. You know what it is for a member to be separated from the body? You know what that's called? Amputation. We are not meant to be amputated apart from the rest of the body. In fact, part of bearing the image of God that he has created us in is to live in unity, right? We are created in the image of a Trinitarian God, of a God who is relational, who is unity in himself. Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling together in perfect unity. Three persons, one God. You cannot separate the three from the one. And we reflect that in a way when God has created us. He's created us to all together, all of us, one another, as God's people reflecting his image, not just myself or you, but we reflect God's image in a much be- more beautiful way when all of us are together. And so Psalm 133 is a s- psalm of ascent, right? It's a psalm, it's a song for people traveling along the way and singing that it's good for them as they're traveling to all be united together uh, with everyone else in Jerusalem, right? That's the end goal. They're singing how good it's going to be, how good when we get to the end. But they're also singing, though, along the way about the goodness for them traveling, not alone, but for the goodness of them traveling together for the interim journey until they get to the end. And so this is a psalm that we're to sing also with as much joy and with as much enthusiasm for the unity that God brings us into because this is where God blesses us together as his people. And so how does God bless us together in unity? What's that look like? Well, it's where he works on us right now. It's how he works on us. It's how he's he's working to sanctify us right now. Now, how do you polish something that's rough? By something abrasive, right? You rub it against, you know, right? You, you, you've got them grinding and rubbing against one another, and those those rough edges uh, they start to to grind down and smooth out, and then eventually it turns into something shining and beautiful, right? And God puts us together, people with our own rough edges, people who are abrasive, and we rub against one another here. But you know what? That is how God renews the image within us. That's the means of how the Father renews the image of Christ in us. We are rough-hewn people, but as, we, but as, as he, by the Spirit, is working to, to grind us together, to, to rub and bump against one another, we are beginning to, to become more and more polished. The, Im- the rough-hewn image of Christ within us begins to, to become, come out more, more polished, more shining, more beautiful. Because growth in holiness only happens amongst others. Our hearts seem like we're, we're pretty good people until we come into contact with others, don't we? And so if you pull yourself from the context of Christian life in the church, you're actually depriving yourself of God's blessing. 
If you only come to church for worship and then you pull yourself out uh, from, from its regular life, it's detrimental to your sanctification. You will not grow in holiness as much as you will as if you are living in contact with other believers here as part of the church. See, God didn't call you to be by yourself. He didn't call you even to just live in small enclaves, but to be a part of his wider church, a part of the body. And when and it's, that body there is where we begin to learn more about the mercy and the forgiveness of God also. Because we learn to forgive as God is forgiven only when people sin against us. People sin against us when we live together in community. When we live together in unity. But those are the opportunities for us as our hearts are mastered by the forgiveness and grace of God to then say, I forgive you. But just as hard is also it's where we learn to be forgiven also. We learn to be forgiven when, not, when we inevitably also sin against others and we come before them in humility and have to ask for their forgiveness and when they grant it to us because it's hard. It's e- it might be easy for some of us to forgive and it might be an entirely different thing for us to actually live having received mercy and live having received forgiveness from someone else, right? But we also learn more about holiness as we see how God has worked in the lives of others all around us too. See, unity together is also a blessing, though, because this is a place of refreshing. This sort of unity refreshes. In fact, we have this idea in verse 3 when when, when the psalmist writes it. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls down on the mountains of Zion. It's a dry, parched place out out there in a a lot of the parts of of Israel there. But it's the morning dew and the moisture which comes down, which, which refreshes, which, which brings life. It's that morning moisture that you can bank on. You're like, oh, you know, it was a dry, hot day yesterday. But this morning, I'm glistening again. And I'm, I'm, I'm brought to life once more, thinking about this morning moisture that's coming. I mean, it's almost like snow melt coming from the mountains, right? It's the snow melt from the mountains that comes down and, all, and, and it refreshes and renews a dry place. And our unity is intended then to be refreshing amid a society that, has exa- that is exhausted from the division and controversy that seems to define it, right? I mean, how many people are exhausted from just the endless bickering and sides and divisiveness that takes place in the rest of society? It's exhausting. But one of the ways, though, that the church can live as a countercultural people, as a people of refreshing, is where we begin to live in this sort of unity here. Because people are tired. People are weary. Yet we get to demonstrate something better. We get to demonstrate a unity that blesses, that refreshes, just like like that dew in the morning in a parched land. And this is what Jesus came for. This is what he lived for. This is what he died for. This is what Jesus rose again for. He died and he lived and died and he rose again to take a people and to put them together as as the redeemed of God, to have their sins forgiven and to be extending these words and, and forgiveness back and forth with each other. This is how we become a refreshed people. And for and and Jesus came and to 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 bring forth a redeemed people who are united together, who are blessed. And so that's our second point then. This, this life, this, this unity is beautiful because it's a unity that transcends. It's a transcendent unity. 
Unity isn't the same as, as, as uh, being homogenous, is it? It's not the same. Unity implies diversity, right? Others. Different people, different and unlike people here, coming from different backgrounds, uh, who may not ordinarily we would expect to be bound together, yet all brought together under a common banner, under some common ideal, some common thread or principle. Do you remember the unity that this country felt um, post 9-11, you know, in those, in those months and, and years afterwards? you remember that? People from all across the spectrum here brought together into some semblance anyway, some semblance of unity that was bound together by, by their, their, their sense of, of citizenship and patriotism and, and, and living in the United States. Unity implies diversity. All right, so what is it that forms, that forms unity? It's some sort of overarching principle that binds them together. But see, here's the thing, though. What happened to that post-9-11 unity? It was gone within a decade, wasn't it? People's own priorities, people's own ideals rose up, though, and, and, distra- and pulled the, them apart from that, that uniting principle here. But the unity of God's people isn't temporal like that. The unity of God's people is transcendent. It's something that is far beyond any of us because it is rooted in God. And it flows from God. It fro- flows from the throne of God. In Revelation 21, there's the waters of life flowing from the, the throne of God, bringing life and healing and restoration to the nations. It flows from the pure side of Jesus, where there's the blood of Jesus that unites us together. It flows from the Holy Spirit, which is poured out upon us, and that brings us together into one body. It's the gospel, the redemption, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the person of Jesus Christ himself who unites us. See, unity isn't just some thin principle. It's not just some guiding idea, but it is a transcendent idea. It is redemption. It is its priority, and it is putting that above all other things. Unity isn't just a sentimental idea for for people who aren't alike to get along. Unity is God's people who are all together in their diversity, remembering what is the priority, what brought us together in the first place. Unity doesn't overlook theological differences either, or it doesn't just sweep them under the rug. But it remembers, though, that we are part of a universal church, a church Catholic. It's the worldwide church that crosses all sorts of denominational bounds. And how does all of this happen? Well, it's more than just one transcending idea. It actually has to come from a transcending power. It has to be coming from God, or from God as it's flowing down here. And that's what's suggested by the imagery in the psalm. We have three, three times here it's this, this, this descending idea, this descending imagery happening. We have the, the oil poured upon the head, right? Where does that come from? It's poured out from above coming down on the head. And then after that, we have it, it, the, the consecration of Aaron, that, that oil that is flowing down his head. It's coming down, the oil running down onto his beard and into, into uh, the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which how does dew come? Dew doesn't come up from the ground. Dew comes down from the sky, right? Down from the air. And then it, and then it, it pours out then and, uh, from Hermon, the highest mountain there in the area, coming down and watering uh, all of the lower, the lower elevations. There is something transcendent about this unity here that's descending down upon us here. And the barrier to unity resides within our hearts. 
If it's within our heart, then it can only be, be overcome by the work of God then. The work of God coming down to us, down upon us. Friends, that's Jesus here. Jesus coming down from heaven to unite his people, to unite us together here. But it's not more than that. It's also the spirit that he poured out upon his church, the spirit that he poured upon us then, coming down to tie us with these spiritual, capital S, spiritual bonds. And this sort of unity pleases God. It pleases him immensely. Jesus was a Jewish man. And like all other Jewish people, he sang the Psalms. He sang the Psalms all the time. In fact, Jesus would have sang this Psalm as he also went up to Jerusalem with the people as well. And can you imagine? Imagine the way that Jesus sang this Psalm as he went along the journey. How do you think he must have sang that? With joy, with exuberance, with, with this exhilaration because he was anticipating the beauty of God's people that he came to bring together. And he was thinking about what he was going to do as he was singing. He's singing, thinking about, I know the picture of what it's going to be like. I know the picture of all of my people put together. And it's going to be beautiful how blessed, how, how good and pleasant it will be when my brothers and sisters dwell together to, with me in unity. See, as he was singing there, he had in mind the picture of Revelation 7, which was from our call to worship this morning. Of a people who are spanning who, the, the entire world, people spanning cultures worldwide, people spanning all of human history, all of these diverse people brought together here by something beautiful, the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And they're celebrating. They're crying out together. All right? There's, there's joy. It's not a, it's not, there's no, no homogeneity happening there. It's not a bland people. It's a beautiful people who are all brought together by the beauty of the Lord God. Right? As they're singing and crying out to the Lamb in, in their different types of clothing. All singing out in different languages, different skin tones. Everything else here. All giving praise to God. Jesus was thinking about that, about that beauty as he sang this psalm with joy. Now, a bowl of white rice is pretty bland, isn't it? Just on its own. A bowl of white rice is pretty bland. But what do you have to do to that, though? Add some spices. Right? Cook up some sauces to add and mix in there. Add some vegetables, especially vegetables of different colors. Add your different sorts of proteins Maybe cook them a little bit differently. Add some other toppings. Oh, definitely add the kimchi into that. Yeah. And then you end up with something that is beautiful. You end up with something that is appealing because of the different flavors happening there. The different colors, the different textures all in that bowl. Beauty comes in diversity. Do you find that sort of diversity as beautiful as, as that beautiful rice bowl? Because if you don't think that diversity is, is beautiful, you're going to be kind of disappointed in heaven. The city of God in Revelation 21, as it comes down from heaven, it's colorful. All sorts of beautiful gems and jewels. That's what it's described as. Almost like a rainbow of colors coming down from, from heaven, meeting earth. You know, what that, you know what that is? That city of God in Revelation 21 is? It's the church. It's us. 
It's God's people worldwide. It's the blueprint that God has and that he's using to build his church even right now. And so something this grand, this magnificent, this beautiful can only then come from the work of God, can it? But the third reason that, that, that unity is beautiful is also because unity invites. This is a unity. The unity of God invites also. Because unity is sometimes misunderstood as being closed. Unity means, right, we're, that we're segmented away from each other. No, that's not what it is. As if church and living this transcendent unity would, would, would be a gated community. That's not, that's not the picture. That's not, the, that's not so, and that's not the image that we have from this psalm either. Because the image that we have here is of overflow that's happening. Right? Oil poured on, on the head here. Right? Is it just a few drops of oil? No. It is an abundance of oil running down, down the forehead, down into the beard, down upon the, the collars of the robe of Aaron. Right? Or the dew from, from Hermon. Flowing down, watering all of the other lower elevations. It's a unity that blesses here that we're talking about. It's a unity that is transcendent and it's also a unity that overflows. It spills out from the community and it invites others to participate also in this transcendent blessing of God. It calls those who are not part of the community. It calls out to those who are in the world to look and see. Look at the beautiful uh, unity that we have here. Look at the, the beauty and the blessing that's happening of God's people dwelling together. Look and taste and see of this beautiful diversity and unity. And most importantly, of the God who has brought them all together and dwells within them. Look at God. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's doing. In fact, one of the chief images of the psalm that we have here is of the the consecration of Aaron and of the priests. It's the pouring of the oil on the head, right? Running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, yeah, you get that over and over, yeah, down on the collar, right? But there's something to that. Because it's not just olive oil that they would have been pouring, but it would have been an, this olive oil that would have been mixed with all sorts of spices, like myrrh and aromatics. Mm, it would have almost been like perfume. Right? So that then when the oil is running down the head, down the beard, down onto the clothing there, onto the robes, it would have oh, had this sweet, wonderful smell. And now think about the smells of Old Testament Israel, of these people, especially when they were out in the wilderness, too. It's not a cold place. It's a warm place. And what happens when you don't bathe very often in a warm place? Body odor. And lots of it. Not just yours, but everyone else's. What about also the fact that this was a herding people, too? That they were a shepherding people? Well, what are these sorts of animals? What do they... I mean, they're not very... They're not very pleasant to smell, but they also emit things that are not also pleasant to smell. And so you can imagine then there, you know, you're working, you're, you're, you're going about your business amongst the camp there. It just, it just reeks, right? But then, wait, there's this fragrant, beautiful smell that's cutting above it all. What is it? What's going on? You smell, oh, it's the priest walking through the camp. 
Oh, you can smell that beautiful, fragrant oil just coming from him. It is so wonderful. It's so beautiful, so attractive and alluring over everything else that they're smelling in their everyday lives. There is the priest walking through the camp, bearing this aroma just about him, this wonderful, pleasing smell. Well, in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul writes that we bear the aroma of Christ. We are the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. What do people smell when they, when they smell us? Do they smell Christ? Or do they smell, do they smell things about us? See, the sweet smells of Jesus are to cling to us, to cut through the odors of the world and to draw attention to the sweet-smelling nature of Jesus. The scent of his goodness should cling to us. It should be a compelling part of who we are then as a witnessing community. Our reading this morning from the New Testament, John 17. Jesus said that the world would know him, that he was sent by the Father. By what? By our unity. That they would know that he and the Father are one as the church is one. By his people being one. See, and think about it. When, we, when did Jesus pray for that? He was just about to be betrayed He was just about to go to the cross. And this is what Jesus prayed for on the night of his betrayal. Do we want the world to know Jesus? Well, what's our unity like? Because if we are quick to eat our own, then what do we say about Jesus? And what do we say about the Father? And this sort of unity then, it turns us into a people who invite We're not dividers. We're not monks living in a monastery. But it turns us into inviters of others into into witnessing and seeing and experiencing the beauty of God. All right, what if people saw the church as a blessing rather than just simply as a thorn in their side? Now, disclaimer here, at the same time, we also, though, take Jesus' words into account that the world would hate us because it hated him, right? And that's what happens when we are also a community founded upon truth. But we can't just hold that on its own there or at the expense that we are also a community who invites. I mean, the God we worship is one who invites his enemies. I mean, he invited us, right, when we were sinners, when he looked at us as, 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 uh, as, as enemies, no, Christ died for us to reconcile us, to make us not enemies, but friends of God. And then we should also then be formed as a people who want others to be brought into the same sort of blessed community. See, the gospel may offend, but that doesn't mean that we should be needlessly offensive. Right? There's enough barriers anyways to the gospel message. Do we need to also ourselves be a barrier? Are we needlessly creating barriers to that message? In fact, maybe this, what are the scents, what are the smells, what are the aromas that we give off? What are the aromas that come through in our words? What are the scents and the smells that come through in the tone of our words? How about also even with our, our, the battles that we, that we, that we want to pick and fight? Are we willing to pick and choose those battles carefully? Maybe we should think about what the book of Proverbs says on words. Proverbs 25, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. There's something beautiful about that. Or Proverbs 25, 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Talking about sensitive speech. 
or insensitive speech. It's talking about uncaring speech that doesn't take into, the, into consideration the other context. See, people still might not like what it is that we believe, but what if, though, we were so inviting and what if we were so deeply loving and, and people could see that in our unity with one another that they couldn't bring any accusation about us, but they were, what if they were actually compelled to see what it was that was happening among us, that that fragrance was irresistible? One other question, though. How strongly do you believe in this idea of unity that's here? How strongly do you really believe in the idea that Jesus came to make his people one? That's what Jesus came to die for. Jesus went to the cross not just for individuals, but to make them a people. To unite them together. To make them more holy, not just as individuals, but as a people. He died for his church. Yes, the church is full of individuals, but we can't forget that it's also the church. This is what Jesus came to die for, for unity here. And this is the unity, this is the union that we have as we approach the table of the Lord Jesus also. It's a communion table. It's a table where we commune with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. But we also, though, commune together. All of us together here, coming around the same table, putting our elbows up to the same table, partaking of the same Jesus Christ, united together here, communing with each other as we commune with Jesus, the one who that we are united to and that we commune with him. The, the, the crucified and risen and ascended Lord is for us. Let's pray. Father, your will is for us to be a people, your people united together, not squabbling with one another, but united under you, united under the Jesus Christ, our head. And make our unity beautiful. Help us to see that it is beautiful because Jesus who came to bring it to us is beautiful. That the spirit who is, who is working it in us right now is beautiful. And that the vision and the picture that you have for us in the end is beautiful. Make it refreshing. Make it refreshing to us who are part of it, that it would not be wearying. But also make, it, make us refreshing to the world, that they would see the refreshing nature of what it is when we come together in our unity, in our communion. And they'd see something different here. And hold our hearts together because of our own tendencies to divide. Hold us together here and be at work within us. Make us beautiful. Prepare our hearts as we come to the table of the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.